Hello and welcome to the CEO Blind Spot Show, where leaders reveal their blind spots and best practices. I'm your host, Birgit Camps, and today's guest is Daniel Fagella, who is the founder and CEO of Emerge, which is his third company as he's actually already started and successfully sold two others, one of which became an Inc. 5000 fastest growing private company. And then a fun fact is that, Daniel, you're also a black belt and national champion in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. So welcome to the show. Hey, glad to be here. I don't often get to toot that horn, but it was a long a long time ago, but a fun and interesting part of my career for sure. Yeah, you've had a lot of successes. You've presented at Harvard. You are called upon by organizations like the World Bank, the United Nations, as well as global pharmaceutical companies, banking companies to develop AI strategies and initiatives yep. that, that actually deliver a return on investment. And I'm, of course, very curious. Number one, how have you succeeded so well? And then number two, why would you want to start this company now? Yeah, geez. Well, succeeding, I guess, would be succeeding at what specifically so many different kinds of initiatives these days. But in terms of the the impetus behind the the firm, Birgit, is really just for me, when I got out of it, was it was UPenn where I went to grad school. And I, I studied sort of cognitive science and neuroscience, specifically focused on learning. So basically learning to learn faster. Martin Seligman is the founder of positive psychology was sort of his program over there. And while I was studying that topic, the topic of machine learning was kind of in its nascency where machines were just getting better at identifying pictures or finding entities and sentiment and text and some some really early exercises about 10 10 years ago when I was wrapping up grad school. And I decided this technology is going to be so powerful, I really want to study it. So even while I was growing and selling other businesses, I was interviewing experts and getting a sense of where this stuff was going to take us. And I knew once that that previous e-commerce company made it in the ink list and we got a nice exit, I could just focus on what I think is really going to be the most impactful tech of, of this century and, and really interpreting it and making sure that leaders can use it fruitfully at a high level. So that was, that was the impetus. It was just knowing that this stuff's going to be a big deal, basically. Yeah, I read that that you were very concerned about the regulation and progression of intelligent technology. And you certainly seem to have applied learning fast to yourself. <laughs> right. I've, I've tried my darndest. It's definitely been a learning curve going into this B2B space and dealing with diplomats at UN headquarters to banking leaders at retail and investment banks. But, but yeah, I've tried, tried my hardest. I'll tell you that. Yeah. So if you were to share with a new leader or a leader trying to take their company to the next level... What, what are one or two best practices that you would recommend they consider doing? Sure. For me, some of my businesses have really involved kind of taking a very divergent path from what I've done before. So maybe some people have an advantage if they've sort of already been in an industry. I certainly didn't do anything B2B and I didn't do anything market research and really didn't do anything AI when I started this company. So one of the things that I did that I'm absolutely certain was helpful for me and, and would be for others is to find mentors and coaches. So for me, that was kind of a bit of a mix. So I found folks who maybe were through my extended network, friends of friends, who maybe could give me some perspective on things like market research and the market research process, or things like the technical side of AI for the things I didn't know, and just find good excuses to have those people I can kind of stay in touch with on a warm and friendly level. But I also, after selling the other business, had had some resources to bring on some formal coaches. So we have proper advisors who were relatively high level leaders at, at Forrester, which is one of the 
you know, the bigger and better known market research firms here in America. And they being able to catch up with them regularly and develop our market research process that's a little bit unique for a variety of reasons because of how nascent AI is as a space. We really had to develop a new process, but to be able to ground it in best practices and also ground the business model and what worked really well for Forrester, which is now a company that does, I don't know, 400 million a year or something like that. So mm. certainly some of those things I would not have wanted to learn myself. So coaches and advisors, paid or unpaid, who you can regularly touch on to get up to snuff quick. I know I needed that for martial arts, you know, good teachers around me, good sparring partners. When it came to learning new business stuff, that was one of the first things I did. And I I know for a fact it was helpful. Yeah, I can see how you can get your results quicker by doing what you just said. Now, you were very young when you started your first company, and then even when you sold your other one. And I did some research and some of the other things that you mentioned that helped you succeed back when, when you didn't have the resources to hire these coaches and to connect with the people you're connected to now. One of the big things that you said is make sure that you nail the right business model, which again, sounds like you're doing once again. But then you also said, keep great records and show that the business can survive without you, which is very interesting, right? Because most leaders, when they start a company or when we're in crisis, it's hard to remember that one. And then I read you initially, you yourself try to do everything. But then you're like, wait a minute, I have to be able to show if I'm going to sell the company that it can survive without me. And then you hire people. So anything you want to share about that? Yeah, yeah. The previous firm was my my company was called Science. It was a couple million dollar e-commerce business in the the self-defense and self-protection space. The exercise there was understanding. So when you sell a business, you're optimizing for a variety of things. You're optimizing for the multiple that you're getting on the sale. And then you're also optimizing for the terms of the payment. And obviously, if, if you can get a large preponderance of the value of the business upfront in a down payment, that's a better deal than sort of crossing your fingers on on longer term installments. And so my goal was was really to have much cash on hand to pursue my my bigger cause and mission in life. And so that meant having a business that was worth it, right? You, you can't sell a business and say, well, these are my goals. I want a big down payment. It's like, no, you have to build a business that's actually worth somebody doing that for. And so for me, and everybody's going to have different goals. Some of the folks who are tuned into the show may not have an exit be in their immediate roadmap. But for me, an exit was a very overt part of my plan. And so that involved essentially picking apart the portions of the business where I was critical. And at the time, that involved relations with our marketing partners, that involved some elements of product creation, that involved some elements of editorial calendar, and really things that were actually pretty crucial to both operations and sales, and breaking those out into six or eight main categories and just making sure that existing team members or newly hired team members could take those tasks over and keep this multi-million dollar thing chugging without without me actually having my hands in there. So it is piecemeal. There would be absolutely no way to do it in one month. I'd say it took me a good eight or nine months to, to break myself out of anything operational at all, but it was it was worth the journey. And here we are with a healthy exit and, and a company doing what I want to do, serving leaders in the AI space. Wonderful. And to your point, not everybody may want to sell their business, but still these principles are very important because I think a lot of leaders are are getting burned out these days because a lot of them have cut their team members down to to make it through crisis. And so it's a good reminder. So of course, everything that we're hearing about you is like you were uh, you were a success in everything you do from jujitsu to business. So, so have you ever struggled managing people, or or tell us a little bit about your 
blind spots when it came to building yeah, team yeah. or delegating? Plenty, plenty, plenty. So in in my e-commerce business, which was, so my, my martial arts gym was it's a 4,000 person town. I just didn't want to have a job. So my friends are delivering pizzas or selling insurance. I just thought that was kind of ridiculous. And I just wanted to train fighters and go to Ivy League graduate school, pay for it by, by teaching people to, to fight in cages. I just thought that'd be more fun. So that, that was a small business. Didn't really involve, it was, I was fortunately pretty good at martial arts and halfway decent at teaching. Aspirations were never going to be grand there. The goal was to sell that business, which which I did. The e-commerce company was a different animal. We started growing really quickly, used a lot of marketing skills to, to really get revenue rolling. And then we're spending and hiring and spending a lot more on marketing. And I essentially learned the hard way that when you don't have a tremendous amount in the bank and you're both spending and making at speeds that are much higher than, than what you're used to in previous companies, you've got to have a, a basically like a week to week pulse on your actual financial health, your actual cash flows, not, not bank balances, but your, your actual P&L and, and getting an understanding of, of your cash flows and your cash position on a regular basis. And so I had to get really, really good at QuickBooks by having a scare or two where I'd end up at the end of the month and say, by golly, is it possible that we spent more than we made? That's crazy. What the heck happened over here? So being able to really have a snug pulse and make week to week decisions around finance and and more or less kind of come to master an analysis of, of balance sheets and, and P&Ls for, for a small business, use that for important steering decisions and financial decisions was very much an acquired taste, not something I did well off the get go. It was just so much fear and so much, so much ardent realization of like how dire finance, it's lifeblood. And so the realization that if I'm not good at this, I will not succeed in business essentially forced me to get good at it. But I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm not born an accountant. I will never be born an accountant, but I damn well learned those skills when I got spooked. So that's definitely an area where I had to wrestle to, to develop a competency. Okay. Well, yeah, I'm sure some of our listeners can intimately relate to that statement. Oh, yes. Any, any entrepreneur probably can. Yeah. And then, and then another question I have, which is when you're a smaller business and you're growing to the next level, hiring the right team members is key or knowing how to lead people. How did you learn to do that? Or, or is that something you also discovered that you needed some help with? Yeah. I mean, I, I certainly needed help in this, in this area. There's a real benefit to kind of going and working somewhere for a couple of years and then starting a business versus only starting a business because you don't really know what HR practices are. You don't know what onboarding is. You don't mm. know what meeting structures and strategies are, etc. And so there were a couple of places I kind of leaned to be able to be a little bit better at management and, and make kind of the, the cadence of, of meetings and growth of the company a little bit more manageable as opposed to willy nilly, whatever tasks come to the fore today. I think that the first year of the e-commerce business was very willy nilly. It was, it was a lot of growth, but it was really unraveling in some respects. Fortunately, we were still able to double it every year until I sold it, but, but it, was, it was a wild ride. One of the books was called Scaling Up by a guy named Vern Harnish. And Scaling Up was a, a very, very good book for establishing essentially a regimen of touching base on our core metrics, having kind of a daily stand-up meeting where we could get a pulse on things so that we, we weren't like sending random emails at 4 p.m. that were urgent for some reason. You know, we could kind of get the urgent stuff uh, off the plate early on and kind of make for a more measured pace where we could work a little bit more on the business as opposed to, to in it. So I, I would say meeting rhythms was a really, really big deal for me. Fortunately, in that business, the hiring, my right-hand man in that business was actually one of my martial arts blue belts, a fellow by the name of Tim Reese, who went on to 
I believe get his own business in, in the uh, the Inc. 500 years, growing pretty quickly in the fitness space. But he was he was kind of a pal of mine, and so we had some great camaraderie. And he was an, an amazingly hard worker, and I very much lucked out in that respect, having somebody mm-hmm. who was a real a real comrade. Uh, but in terms of using him productively and using our other team members productively, and being a, a well oiled machine, knowing when to meet, what to talk about, and then how to get right back to work without having to bug each other all day was probably the biggest uptick in productivity. Wow, what a very valuable point, especially these days with with the issues that happen with it seems like people are constantly on Zoom meetings. So I appreciate that. And everything all day long, right? Exactly. Yeah. So Daniel, as we start to wrap up the show, we've been through several crises and leaders will continue to be and you're in the space of AI. And maybe you want to say a little bit more about what your company does. But one burning question I have, which a lot of leaders are hearing about now is this thing called the social dilemma which a lot of them say AI is taking advantage of and, and they're confused by. So could you tell us something about that? Yeah, sure, sure. Really, really big topics here. I mean, just a quick sidebar, Birgit, I guess, or to your point about what we do at Emerge. I mean, the company is called Emerge Artificial Intelligence Research. So you, you could think about us as a, a market research and advisory firm with a focus on the return on investment of AI. So our, our sort of strengths here are having a really rich Rolodex Everybody from, in terms of our podcast connections and research connections, we're talking about the heads of AI at some of the biggest companies in the world, from HSBC to Raytheon to head of core machine learning at Facebook. These are the kind of people that we have in our program and that we get to pull into our research. So when a, when a company works with us, generally our job is to help them validate AI opportunities and essentially build a roadmap to be able to achieve financial returns. There's a lot of ways to screw up with AI, but as it turns out, some of the most successful companies have have already treaded some of these paths, whether it be chatbots, whether it be fraud detection, et cetera. And our our job is to basically bring that competitive intelligence to our clients so that they can get to value faster. Now, that that means that we're very close to sort of a variety of applications of AI. And and one that you just mentioned there, which is is actually the, the topic of my presentation at United Nations headquarters, if, if people Google beyond deep fakes and then they say emerge, E-M-E-R-J in Google, so beyond deep fakes emerge, they can actually kind of see the, the video presentation at, at United Nations headquarters. But the idea here is that artificial intelligence is, is very clearly a, a robust part of what the virtual world is being molded into. So in short, Birgit, I want to be very brief. And if you want to ask me one more question about it, that's fine. I just want to be mindful of your time. But the rabbit hole is deep here. But the basic idea is this. As we continue to engage and live primarily in virtual ecosystems, obviously COVID helped with that, all of our activity can be tracked and monitored and managed. And I'm not saying all of that is bad or evil, but the fact of the matter is those that that tracking of behavior, of activity, of purchases, of location can help inform companies who might want to get us to buy something or might want to get us to use their application a little bit more or might want to get us to take some other action that kind of behooves their their commercial aims. And there's nothing inherently malicious about that. But, but the fact that we live in these worlds where we can constantly be nudged gets a little spooky. And we, when we start to think about China's model for how that gets done in, in terms of you know more the, the high-level propaganda at, at an entire population level, I think we do have to be a little bit nervous about 
you know, how much authoritarian governments have sway over this virtual world that can gently mold us in whatever direction it like. And so we've done a, a good deal of research and kind of projections around where that could take us and how it might go right or wrong, let's say. So I tried to be as brief as I could there, Birgit. Let me know if there's anything else. Yeah, well, it sounds to me like we I need to have you back as a guest. <laughs> so you can <laughs> we, we can definitely unlock on that one. I'll tell you what. Yeah. So business leaders, I guess they can go to your website and learn sure, more. Sure. Yeah. A resource in terms of making fruitful use of artificial intelligence in terms of wielding this technology and wielding its its ability to deliver value productively for, for yourself as a business leader. There, there's a, probably the best starting point for that is if, if people Google the three kinds of AI ROI, is, is probably the most tight 1000 word overview of what it looks mm-hmm. like to, to unlock business value in some of the biggest companies and also in smaller firms when it, when it comes to AI. So that's a good jumping off point. And there's plenty of security stuff in there if people want to zip around and get spooked. But in terms of hitting your bottom line, that's, that's a good place to start. Very good. So really your appreciate you being willing to be on the show and and share that. And then of course, your current company is a topic that I think is a blind spot for a lot of leaders. So if they want to learn more about AI and how they could use it as a competitive edge, they can go to emerge.com. And I'll put that in the description, but it's emerj.com. That's right. And yeah, then, and I know you've got your own podcast. And I really, again, appreciate that you are choosing to share your talents in an area that, like I said, a lot of us are learning from. So thank you again for being on the show. Yeah, thanks, Birgit. I appreciate it.